You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on Pet Life Radio. I'm Keith Sanderson, your host, animal advocate, writer, and human companion to Max A. Pooch, canine crusader for animals and the environment. Max and I thank you for joining us. We dedicate this episode as we dedicate every episode to those amazing people who work to save the lives and or improve conditions of companion, domestic, or wild animals. We have two guests today. Both are awesome animal advocates. First of all, we will hear from Annie Blumenfeld, a high school student from Fairfield, Connecticut, who founded Wags for Hope. And then Deborah Howard, founder of Companion Animal Protection Society, will join us. Annie will tell the story behind Wags for Hope and why she started this organization. But first, we want to break for a few words from those people who make Max A. Pooch's awesome animal advocates possible. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Dog Shelter Blues, the new novel by Mark Conkling. This hard-hitting story lights up the world of animal rescue with engaging characters and their pets, struggling with their own internal demons as they attempt to rescue innocent creatures that sometimes bring a mysterious transforming power to broken lives. Read the first chapter of Dog Shelter Blues free at dogshelterblues.com. Then come along a breathtaking journey that ends with an astonishing triumph of good over evil. Order your copy of Dog Shelter Blues today. Available at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm Keith Sanderson, your host, and welcome to Annie Blumenfeld, one of Max A. Pooch's favorite awesome animal advocates. Thank you for joining us today, Annie. I'm so excited to be speaking with you right now. That's great. That's great. Now, what we want to talk about is that you founded an organization called Wags for Hope. Can you tell us what that organization is about? Well, yes. I rescued my dog, Teddy, from Houston Shaggy Dog Rescue, and he had heartworm disease. The owner of the rescue, Kathy Wetmore, informed us about what he went through. He had to be in a crate for a month with many shots, and it was such a long, painful, expensive process. So I wanted to research it to learn more about it to see because I hadn't really heard of it before. Um, so I did a lot of research, and I found that it was in all 50 states, and 45% of dogs in America are not protected from it. So I thought it would be a great way to get more information about it to kids my age and how to protect their pet and whatnot. So to this day, it's been about a year, and I love doing it. Well, that's good. What's the mission of your organization? Well, recently I just finished spreading a flyer that I created in all 50 states, so it's obviously spreading heartworm disease awareness. And at the same time, I work within my community to help local shelters, so supporting dogs until they find their forever home shelter dogs, too. That's really great work. Can you tell us a little bit about heartworm disease? Because I think a lot of people still aren't aware of it. Yes, it's not something that common as Lyme and rabies, but it is like a major um, disease that can kill your dog if it's really bad. 
But basically, it's only transmitted by mosquitoes in the heart, and your dog will usually have a big cough, and it affects their kidneys and their liver, and it's a really painful process that they have to suffer from. But yeah, you can easily prevent it. With There's so many preventatives out there that are quite reasonable, so there's no need to go through this long, expensive, painful process with your dog. Now, is heartworm disease, is that deadly to the dog? Um, it is deadly. If it's really a serious case and not treated for a while, then it could lead to a shorter lifespan or even kill your dog, fortunately. I understand that your organization has a website. What's the uh, website URL, Annie? It's org, and that's the number four. The number four. So www.wags4hope.org. Is that right? Yes. Okay, that's great. Now, are you on Facebook? I am on Facebook and Twitter, too. And how would I find you? Just look for Wags for Hope? Yes, if you type it in Google, it will come up. And Twitter, it's at Wags for Hope, too. That's fantastic. Now, I understand you also do paintings and uh, sell them to help raise money? Yes, I started in eighth grade when I treated a shaggy dog since sheepdogs were my favorite dog, having one when I was younger. And I really enjoyed painting them, and I thought it would be a great way to create more paintings and customize dogs and then give that money that I make to local shelters and, of course, Houston Shaggy Dog Rescue since that's where they saved my beautiful dog, Teddy. Wow, that's really great. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Mark Barone and his organization, but he's a nationally known painter and he got involved in helping dogs and now he spends his total time painting paintings of dogs. And uh, so, yeah, so it's a great idea and you're following in uh, really um, incredible animal advocates footsteps. So good for you. And uh, is there anything else you want to tell people about your organization or about what they might be able to do if they wanted to help? Well, if they would like to get involved, um, you can email me at wagsforhope at gmail.com for events or whatnot for a flyer to spread within your school community or friends. And also I have a Tumblr, teddystales.tumblr.com, where I update once a month Teddy's adventure and that's the exact same date that he takes his heartworm disease prevention. So it can remind you to take yours. It's useful. Now, Teddy's the dog that you adopted, right? Yes. And Teddy is a very handsome dog. I saw him on that video when you were on TV. Yes. <laughs> and I can see why you really, really like Teddy. He's a great-looking guy. He's just, his personality is amazing, too. He's so sweet. Is he? He looks like he is. Anyway, uh, we thank you for being with us today, Annie. Thank you for having me, too. Oh, definitely, because I think, you know, what you're doing is so awesome. There's been a lot written about, a lot of it negative about young people today. But I'm telling you, when I talk to somebody like you, Annie, uh, you're truly a remarkable young lady. And uh, Max agrees with me. He says she is just one awesome animal advocate. And we hope you keep your passion for animals and helping because it's a really, really a good thing. Thank you. And thank you very much for joining us today, Annie. Bye. Have a nice day. Well, we really want to thank Annie Blumenfeld for being with us. She is really a great animal advocate. And I'm sure she may follow in the footsteps of our next guest, who is Deborah Howard, 
the founder and president of Companion Animal Protection Society, a group that works to inform people and educate people about puppy mills and puppies sold in pet stores. And so we want to welcome Deborah to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. And well, I'm uh, glad to be here. That's good because we're happy you're here and we want to learn a little bit about Companion Animal Protection Society and what that's all about. So can you give us a brief explanation? We are the only national nonprofit that focuses exclusively on the pet shop and puppy mill industry. Why would anyone want to focus on the puppy mill and the pet store? Aren't they legitimate businesses? Well, as you know, almost every dog in a pet shop comes from a puppy mill, which is a commercial breeding facility that mass produces dogs for resale to the pet shop industry and for the internet puppy industry. Most of these places are USDA licensed, but that doesn't mean anything. We've investigated more than a thousand puppy mills, most of them USDA licensed, and um, the dogs are raised in extremely inhumane conditions. Can you describe some of those conditions? Well, we have undercover investigators that go up. Most of the facilities are in the Midwest, and um, you know, some of them have, uh, for example, one facility we investigated, which is probably the largest, had 3,000 dogs. And, I mean, it's just overcrowding, uh, fecal accumulation, you know, sanitation runoff, dogs kept in, in crowded cages, rusty wires, broken wood. The most serious is usually insufficient veterinary care. And, you know, I've seen pictures where the dog cages are stacked on each other. Yeah, those are known as sundowner kennels. And yes, in fact, they are stacked oftentimes. And, you know, sometimes, you know, urine and feces does run down through the cages. Some dogs have access to indoor housing. Some do not. Some are, you know, under the Animal Welfare Act, which dictates the regulations that oversee these facilities, there is supposed to be sufficient cover from shade and, and rain and so forth, but oftentimes there isn't. So dogs are out in, in brutally cold conditions and then also in the heat of summer. But you said the Department of Agriculture inspects these places, so I would assume that uh, they'd be really up to snuff. <laughs> um, you know what? A USDA licensed facility is a puppy mill. And USDA is known for its very lax enforcement of the Animal Welfare Act, especially as it pertains to dog commercial dog breeders and brokers. We have followed USDA inspectors, watched them using government vehicle for personal time. We watched them not go to work. We're the only organization that actually goes into puppy mills and documents the Animal Welfare Act violations as if we were inspectors ourselves. And because of that type of work, we were granted a meeting with the Office of Inspector General for USDA, which is rare because they just don't meet with outside organizations. But because we do the type of work that an OIG would do, we were invited to meet with them. And at that time, we had a very high-powered law firm doing our pro bono lobbying in Washington, D.C., where we were trying to get congressional oversight hearings on this very matter, on the USDA's failure to enforce the Animal Welfare Act. So we presented a lot of evidence. We met with them for two hours. They agreed with us there was a very serious problem. I wasn't hopeful because I had seen previous reports that they had issued about the uh, animal care division of USDA. Four years later, a very scathing 69-page report came out that made a series of harsh recommendations. Um, USDA is still trying to come into compliance with them. But the very thing, issues we had raised were, in fact, addressed by the OIG. There are changes. I mean, USDA is cracking down a lot more than they were in the past. They now take photographs at all facilities that have violations, and we're driving them crazy making Freedom of Information Act requests for these photographs, which are pretty harsh-looking. So 
we're actually using this as evidence that these are, in fact, puppy mills, in addition to our own undercover footage, photographs, and reports. Wow, that's really incredible. Now, don't states also, aren't there State Department of Agriculture? Uh, there are some. There are some. I generated a story in 1992. I, I This all came about because I went into a Dr. Pet Center, which was a 300-store chain. I went into a franchise in Atlanta in late 89. was horrified by the conditions. There were sick puppies. There was a dog with a cut on his leg, a Labrador pressing it against a grate of the cage. There was, uh, you know, bloody diarrhea overcrowding and I found out that in fact these dogs come from puppy mills and at the time I have a law degree but at the time I was doing public relations so I approached 2020 about doing a story and as luck would have it a young man in Atlanta who was in a local animal rights group um, was working at another doctor pet center merely to help the dogs because he felt so bad for them. I helped him go undercover for this 2020 story and he every day he went in there seemed to be dogs dying you know or dead from parvo you know, dogs, they just threw out tons of medical, horrific medical records. So we used this, we turned it over and, uh, you know, 2020 did a story in, in May of 1990. And then I started organizing protests all over the United States against Dr. Pet Centers. So the first year we targeted 30 stores and that was in, you know, Christmas time, 1990, the weekend before Christmas. And then we did it, you know, three successive years. But by February of 1993, we had put Dr. Pet Center into bankruptcy in part because of a story I generated with People Magazine and the two stories we had done on 2020. And as a result of the People Magazine, Missouri was so embarrassed because that's the number one puppy mill state in the country. It has the most USDA licensed facilities. They pass an Animal Cares Facility Act. So they are supposed to have inspectors that go out and also inspect these puppy mills. Well, they're even worse than USDA. And they got audited several times by the state and found a lot of violations. And, you know, it's very similar to what we hear about USDA. So, yes, in fact, there are some states that do have state licensing and inspection, but they're very lax in, in their enforcement as well. Iowa has now a state law. Then they used our evidence all over the state to get this law passed. But it only applies if somebody makes a a complaint about a USDA licensed facility, then they'll send a state inspector out. Otherwise, the state licensing only applies to those who are not selling for resale. That's what triggers a USDA license. If you raise dogs for resale to a broker who in turn sells to a pet shop or just you're selling directly to a pet shop, you have to have a USDA license. And you have four breeding females and you make $500 a year. I think here in Illinois that uh, one of the things that was passed a year or so ago was a, a bill that pet store owners are supposed to state the breeder and where the dog came from and other right. certain information. Right. Ha has that been effective at all? Well, we actually, you know, we have a, a Chicago campaign coordinator and a couple other people in the Chicago area, and only a few stores are actually in compliance with that law in the Chicago area. We went around... And the other component of it is that they don't have to identify the broker. And that's what most people don't understand. When you go to that pet shop, most times that dog did not come directly from the breeder. It came from a broker, such as the Hunt Corporation. Hunt shipped out one to 2,000 puppies a week. It's the largest broker in the country. We worked there undercover for six months. We know exactly how everything works. And then we investigated a number of the breeders selling to Hunt as well. And, you know, many of them had violations. We have a couple of documentaries on that on our website. So I think it is helpful to consumers if, in fact, these stores are in compliance 
we were just talking about that today with my New York director about how, you know, it would be nice if stores were required to put on the cages, not just the state of origin as is required in the state of California, but the breeder's name, the broker's name, the city, the state, and the USDA number. And then maybe what people would take the time to look this up and find out where the dogs were coming from. Now, one of your, you mentioned you have a chapter out here, and I believe uh, that chapter organizer's name, is that Ida McCarthy? Right, yes. Yeah, and uh, she spends a lot of time peacefully picketing pet stores that sell Mm -hmm. puppies. Is that an effective way to do things? That is a very effective way to do that, and we have a protocol for, for protesting pet shops, and we have a civilized method of protesting. We don't engage in arguments with owners of pet shops, with employees, with customers. We're very peaceful in the way that we do them. And they've been very effective in raising awareness, in preventing sales of puppies the days that we're actually protesting. We were targeting happiness as pets in the Chicago area. Um, we still protest two of them out of five. And we had a billboard for our Models Against Pet Shops and Puppy Mills campaign right across the street from the Lombard, Illinois, Happiness as Pets. And that was effective as well because people, and we've, we've done this with this campaign now around the country. So uh, um, That's the models against puppy Pet Shops and Puppy Mills campaign where we had beautiful models join forces with Rescue Dogs and Puppy Mills Survivor and CAP spokesmodel Beatrice the Basset Hound to educate people about the pet shop puppy mill industry. So it's, there's many components to it. There's a PSA, which actually ran on the PBS station in Chicago in February, and in L.A., San Diego, San Francisco, and Tampa Bay. And then it's going to be running on Animal Planet dog and cat programs in New York City this month as a trial run for two weeks. And then we've had billboards, and we specifically try to find billboards that are really close to pet shops. We had one right in the parking lot of San Diego Puppy. And that, that we're, we're, just, we're really close to getting an ordinance passed in San Diego to ban the retail sale of pet shop puppies, kittens, and rabbits. And that billboard was actually featured on TV and in in the Union Tribune newspaper. Yes, yes. The protests have been very effective. We're not trying to shut down pet shops. We want them to go humane and stop selling puppies and kittens and rabbits. And not just because they're supporting the mill industry, but because they're supporting animal overpopulation while millions of dogs and cats and rabbits die in shelters each year. Yeah, um, exactly. I, you know, that to that point, I came across a stat that the HSUS, the Humane Society of the United States, claims that uh, in a week, up to 40,000 puppies will be born in puppy mills. What I find ironic about that is if you take the figures of dogs that are euthanized, mm-hmm. that comes to an estimated 38,500 dogs. I mean, right. it just doesn't make sense. We're, humans are breeding dogs so they can kill dogs, it almost seems. And, and that's part of our message of Models Against Pet Shops and Puppy Mills is that we are encouraging people to save a life and adopt. And that ad campaign came about because we made a documentary about one of the most notorious and largest dog brokers of all time, Kathy Bach who did horrific things like C-sections without anesthesia and spays and neuters and uh, leaving dogs to die horrific deaths after getting in dog fights and denying veterinary care and trying to treat them herself. Now, we had gone to her place a number of times. Sometimes she wouldn't let us in. She would always pat us down for cameras. And one of our investigators, who had also worked at the Hunt Corporation, got a job there for six weeks. 
And it was enough to get her convicted of animal cruelty. Not the kind of, you know, sentence we would have liked, but this is the rural Midwest, and it's very hard to even get sheriffs to press charges. But based on that conviction, USDA terminated her license. She continued to sell using her maiden name and fought it and appealed it. And then a termination in USDA lingo only means two years, and you can go back and reapply. But because she was continuing to sell to pet shops on Long Island, we provided the evidence of that. We traced her movements through interstate health certificates. She was permanently revoked. Her daughter, her son, her sister were all banned from ever applying for a USDA license. She, by the way, did sell to pet shops in the Chicago area. And the WBBM, the CBS TV station, had the exclusive on her her conviction. I was in Chicago and I, I did an interview with Pam Zeckman. We did a number of other stories with ABC in Boston as well because she was selling to a lot of pet shops here. She was, in fact, selling to pet shops, you know, pretty much all over the country. And because we made a documentary about Kathy Bach, the blonde model in our campaign, Keely Wirtz Jennings, approached us and said, I have a group of people here and we would all love to donate our time to create a campaign. And that's oh, how that's, Models Against Pets, yeah. We need to take a break so you can hear from the folks who I'll bring Max A. Pooch's awesome animal advocates to you. Please make sure you stay with us because when we return, Deborah will tell us more about puppies and puppy mills. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Introducing the new Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection, exclusively at PetSmart. I created it for the pets that rock your world. Shop the Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection and celebrate PetSmart's 25th anniversary with up to 25% off thousands of items on the PetSmart site. Plus free shipping on orders of $49 or more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. That's PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Are you crazy about cats? If so, check out The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition. This clever how-to manual for cats, written by a cat named Quasi, contains more laughs than should be allowable in one book, and is poignantly underscored by the combative yet loving relationship between Quasi and his human. The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition, is guaranteed to have you laughing your tail off. So, treat yourself to a copy today. Available from Amazon. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. When you're looking to add a pet into your life, consider adopting a homeless animal from your local shelter or rescue group. Whether you want a kitten, puppy, or a more mature pet, a purebred or a -a one-of-a-kind mixed breed, even a rabbit or hamster, your shelter has the best selection of animals anywhere, all screened for good health and behavior. PetLifeRadio.com presents Take Me Home with your host, Susan Daffron. 
Join us each week as we showcase wonderful pets, tell stories, and even throw some pet education into the mix. So get ready to find out why the pet adoption option can be a great way to add a furry companion into your life. Take me home every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hi, I'm Keith Sanderson, your host, welcoming you back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates and Deborah Howard, one of Max A. Pooch's favorite animal advocates. And Deborah was talking about puppies and puppy mills and the horrendous conditions that occur there. And, you know, I, I have a question, you know, that just baffles me. Is there such a low awareness by people who buy puppies from pet stores that they just really don't get it? I believe there is. And there's also impulse buying. So there's several factors involved here. We have an online complaint form for pet shop customers. A lot of people don't even bother to take the time to do that. They just fill out something on ripoff report and, you know, throw their hands up. We encourage consumers to also file a complaint with a state attorney general's office. So we do a lot of work with the New York attorney general's office, and we've done some really successful pet shop and uh, breeder type, you know, investigations. A recent one with an online breeder resulted in a very, very stiff fine and uh, a banning of her ever being in any kind of dog business. So I think a lot of people, for example, we did a story with Dateline. It took 13 months to put together. It covered USDA. It covered Petland, the largest chain in the country, of which you have some in the Chicago area. It covered AKC. It was one hour long. It was the best story we've, we've ever done. And people would still, even after the story, and it was the second most responded to story in the history of Dateline, and it won a Genesis Award, which is an award for animal programs and movies and, and films and so forth. People still would call up and say, but we saw the story, and we went in, and they guaranteed us that they didn't buy from puppy mills. And I said, yeah, you know but that- a USDA licensed facility is a puppy mill. Oh, and people, they have payment plans. Yes, they do. <laughs> And it really is impulsive buying. I mean, I've had people who said, I never went to a pet shop, but my dog just died. I used to go to shelter. My dog died. I was vulnerable. Well, here's an interesting story. In our neighborhood, a uh, college-age student went and on impulse bought a puppy. Mm-hmm. and brought it home and she had her own credit card and she was old enough to make a purchase but her parents were really against it and so mm-hmm. they went back to the pet store and mm-hmm. explained the circumstances and the owner wouldn't take it back so mm-hmm. because of an impulse buy here's a potential dog that may end up in a shelter now fortunately right. these people were dog people and took the responsibility to raise that dog and give it a good home. But uh, I can see, you know, circumstances where something like that may happen and the the people just take it to the shelter and dump it. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of behavioral issues with puppy mill dogs because even, you know, some dogs are more sensitive than others and 8 to 10 or 12 weeks in a puppy mill can be very traumatic for some dogs and they never recover from it. And then sometimes if there's not a lemon law or the lemon law in your state is insufficient and you can't cover the medical expenses for the often very sick puppy that you buy, you take the dog to a shelter because the pet shop, you know, doesn't want it back or, you know, won't give you your money back, whatever. We've had, you know, a lot of these dogs, in fact, do end up in shelters. And the listeners should know that 25% of dogs in shelters are purebred. 
And you can get a purebred dog. You may not be, you know, an eight-week-old puppy, but if you go to PetFinder and you type in a breed, there's a rescue for just about every breed out there. And that's what I, you know, encourage people to do. But I also encourage them to look at mixed breed dogs because they tend to be sturdier. They don't have the genetic problems. And, you know, they're just as cute and lovable as a purebred dog. And a rescue dog also knows you made a big difference in their life. They really know you've done something special for them. Yeah, I really believe that. Hey, I have another question for you. Now, on the Internet, I see ads for puppies, and the people are claiming they are from home breeders. Now, they may be, but how can I tell if they're making false claims and are, or they're just somebody selling puppy milk puppies? Okay, so first of all, I would never buy a dog on the Internet, and that's the next big frontier. USDA is going to start regulating Internet sellers. We're going to probably be the ones that have to find these Internet sellers for them if they're not already USD licensed because they're selling to pet shops. So I probably would never buy a dog sight unseen. Well, I wouldn't buy a dog anyway because dogs are dying in shelters, and even more so cats. And we've been to pet shops that have cats. It's just horrifying, all these purebred cats. So don't buy a dog sight unseen. I mean, if you're going to go to a, a breeder, you know they're reputable because, you know, they'll have at least the mother there. They'll let you in the house. They'll have one, maybe two breeds at most. And they're going to guarantee the dog for its lifetime, you know, bring it back, even if you don't get your money back, if you, you can't keep the dog. And they have done all kinds of genetic testing on the parents of the dog. You're not going to get that with an, <laughs> with an online seller. The other giveaway is if you look at these websites, they tend to all kind of look the same. They have testimonials. They have cheery pictures of children with the dogs on their quote-unquote farm. And they seem to have stock photos of the dogs. And one of the biggest complaints we get is this isn't the dog I saw on the Internet. The dog that arrived was different. Not to mention dogs that arrive, for example, the one woman whose dog was on the carousel at the airport and people were pointing to it and it was in the crate dead. Oh, no. That's terrible. I mean, uh, a couple of years ago that happened on the tarmac here in Chicago that dogs being shipped to owners from puppy mills died from the heat. They were left right. on the uh, tarmac. and. You know, well, you know, do you really want to put any dog in cargo anyway, and especially a young puppy? I mean, is that the way you'd want to get your dog? And, and would, a, would a reputable breeder really ship their dog that way? So, I mean, it's, just, it's even worse. And how are we going to track down all these breeders who now are all of a sudden, you know, selling over the Internet? And that's the only way. A lot of USDA licensed people are dropping their USDA license specifically so they could sell over the Internet and not be regulated, at least not for the time being. That That is just amazing. Hey, now, if I want to get involved, what can I do to become more involved in the fight against puppy mills? Where can I find more information about CAPS and what kind of help are you looking for? Well, you can go to our website, caps-web.org, and we have a lot of information on there. We have a lot of literature. We really encourage people to do outreach. I mean, we're not just doing it in Chicago. We have big campaigns in Southern California, on Long Island, and in New York, you know, in, in the Tampa Bay area. And we've had billboards, you know, in, in a lot of these areas. We were actually on um, Long Island Railroad and Metro North, 700 cars for two months, and CBS Outdoor donated the entire second month. And we're going to be on Metro, the NSF line from Chicago to Aurora, Probably in September, we're going to have an ad, a models ad in every single one of the cars. So, you know, we want people to spread the word about the ad campaign, to hand out our literature, which you can find under outreach on our website, to really take this literature, take it to groomers, take it to dog boutiques, take it to your veterinarian, um, really get the word out there that people shouldn't buy online, they shouldn't buy in pet shops, and they should adopt shelter and rescue animals. 
And more than that, I mean, if you're in one of our locations where we have protests, please come out and join us. And we're looking, always looking for good organizers to start protests, uh, you know, in, in their in their area as well. And we don't just go out and protest. We back up our protests with evidence. So we haven't usually investigated the puppy mills that are selling to the, the pet shops we're actually targeting. That's very interesting. Now, I have to ask you another question. In fact, I ask each of my guests this question, and that is, with all the human misery in the world, how can you justify the time, the money, and the resources in advocating for animals? Well, how could you not, you know, advocate for animals? Animals can't speak for themselves, first of all. And I also think that a lot of the crime against humans starts with crime against animals. And as you know, some of the worst abusers, criminals in history, you know, start with crime against animals before they even commit crimes against children or women or other, you know, human beings. So, for example, we have investigated a lot of facilities in Amish communities. Uh, We've been all over Pennsylvania, Ohio. We did a big story with the NBC affiliate in Indianapolis, a two-part expose on Amish puppy mills selling to pet shops in Indiana and Chicago. And um, interestingly enough, Dateline had done a story on Amish and their abuse of their wives and how the women had to be shunned from the community if they made any kind of complaint about abusive husbands. And these are the same people that are also, you know, running puppy mills and also being abusive toward their animals. So there is definitely a correlation between abuse against animals and abuse against people. That's interesting. You know, it's amazing when we get to talking about subjects like this, how quickly the time goes. And we're out of time already. And we want to thank you for being with us today, Deborah. We're a big fan of Max A. Pooch, and we love his recycling program. I wish we could get my dogs to do that. Um, <laughs> but, but we do have Beatrice here, and she's our famous spokesmodel, and she has you know extensive social media, and you can find her on our website. Um, and she, she is a puppy mill survivor. Is she the basset that's in the... <laughs> she's the basset hound that's nearly blind, has deformed elbows. Um, she's always cheerful. Um, she goes to physical therapy and has a number of different doctors, and she's the canine star of our campaign. She has 1,700 Facebook fans and 700 connections on LinkedIn and extensive social media, a blog, business cards, and an email account. Well, good. She sounds just as uh, wired into social media as Max A. Pooch is. I think she is. (laughs) We're going to have to go. And as always, we want to thank our listeners for spending their time with us and for them to tell their friends about Max A. Pooch's awesome animal advocates. And Max and I thank Mark Winter, co-founder and executive producer of Pet Life Radio and our sponsors for making this episode of Max A. Pooch's awesome animal advocates possible. And please, if you want, we'd appreciate if you voted for Max A. Pooch in this year's American Humane Association Hero Dog Awards competition. You can find the link at www.maxapooch.com. I'm Keith Sanderson, host and creator of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocate, saying so long, and we hope you speak out for animals because they can't speak for themselves. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.